Sermon 7 of the Sermons upon the Epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians by John Calvin, translated by Arthur Golding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I pray for you that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to have the knowledge of him, that is to wit, to have the eyes of your understanding enlightened, to the end ye may know what the hope is which you ought to have of his calling, and what the riches are of the glory of his heritage among the saints. All men have naturally some understanding, not that it showeth itself as soon as they be born, but in process of time all have some discretion of good and evil, and for that cause are they reasonable creatures. But the understanding which we have of nature is not enough to bring us to the kingdom of heaven. For we stop far short when matters that concern the heavenly life do come in question. We see that every man hath wit in matters and affairs of the world, and every man will look about him. Again, although diverse could find in their hearts that their own consciences were dead, yet notwithstanding God hath so graved a kind of feeling in their hearts as our lives must needs be bridled, and even the wickedest and worst-natured of us all shall of force have some remorse or heart-biting, and be constrained, whether they will or no, to allow the good and condemn the evil. True it is, that when they have committed a fault, they will labour to hide it with vain excuses. But if a man ask them whether murder, extortion, robbery, whoredom, deceit, and forswearing be virtues or no, they will say they be vices worthy to be condemned. Every man will talk so. For it is God's will that there should be such a knowledge printed in man's heart, to the end that all should be condemned without excuse, and be enforced to be their own judges. But, as I said afore, this is not enough to lead us unto God, and to open us the kingdom of heaven in such wise as we may know how to be saved, or how to call upon God. Then are we stark blind in that behalf, for our insight reacheth not beyond the world. Therefore God must be fain to work in us, and to give us new eyes to spy out the things that are requisite to our salvation. And that is the cause why St. Paul prayeth unto God here to give them enlightened eyes, wherein he presupposeth that men have already some enterance, not to attain so high as is requisite, but to have some seed of religion in them, and to perceive that there is a God. Furthermore, God must be fain to give a greater light, and such a one as we be quite void of by reason of Adam's sin, for we be plunged in such darkness that we go clean away from the right way till God have reached us his hand. Ye see, then, that the thing which is contained here is that God hath done more for us in giving us the eyes of understanding than in making us men and putting us into the world, because that thereby he reformeth us and giveth us a clear and sure insight as to those whom he hath chosen. For it is a privilege which is peculiar to his own children, and not common to all men. And truly we see that when God uttereth his power, it is not known but only to such as have enlightened eyes, according to this saying of Moses, Thy God hath not given thee a heart to understand, nor eyes to see, even unto this day. We know that miracles were wrought in the sight of the people, yet notwithstanding the passing of the Red Sea, the issuing of the water out of the rock, the falling of the manna down from heaven, the thick cloud by day, and the fiery pillar by night, the abundant coming of the flesh unto them, 
and the horrible punishments that God laid upon the rebels, and upon such as had given full scope to their own lusts. All this gear the people understood not. Moses, telling them that they had need to refer themselves to God, that they might be enlightened by his Spirit, saith, I see that even unto this hour God's gracious doings have been buried among you through your unthankfulness. But that is because men are blockish, and do never understand aught that belongeth to their welfare, till God have wrought in them. Therefore it standeth you on hand to rid yourselves of all overweening, and to crave understanding at God's hand, acknowledging yourselves to be unable to reach so high as to judge rightly of God's works, and to profit yourselves by them, until he have given you a heavenly sight in your minds. This is the sum of the things that we have to mark in this strain. Now, whereupon it is easy to gather how the wretched world hath been beguiled by the opinion of free will, which hath been put into their heads. For the papists will well enough grant that without God's grace we cannot walk as we ought to do. But yet they say therewithal that we may well further God's grace by our own free will, and so they make a medley of them together. When they mind to define free will, they say it is a mingled thing, so as we have reason and wit to choose the good and to refuse the evil, and that therewithal we have also power and ability to perform and put in execution the thing that we have purposed. But we see after what manner St. Paul speaketh here of man's reason, which they term the queen that overruleth and bridleth all our thoughts and deeds. He showeth that she is stark blind until God have renewed her, and not that he doth but supply our wants where any be, as though there were some piece of power in us. Had it been so, St. Paul would have said that God furthereth our light, or that he increaseth it, or that he addeth to it whatsoever it hath need of. Howbeit he speaketh not so, but he saith, God give you enlightened eyes, showing thereby that it is a free gift, and not only that our Lord must be fain to bear with our infirmities, and to put some further portion thereunto, but also that we, being blind, can see nothing at all, till he have opened our eyes, and that we be guided and governed by the said manifestation of his Holy Spirit, which we have touched heretofore. And now, forasmuch as men run always flinging over the fields, and busy their heads about many unprofitable things, St. Paul showeth us whereto we ought to apply all wholly both our understanding and wit, namely about the seeking how to know what the hope of our calling is. I have told you already that men are, as you would say, born to curiosity, and that they rove and range and frame many wicked gazes in their heads, and that is the cause why many men do martyr themselves out of measure, ever learning and never attaining to the knowledge of the truth, as saith St. Paul. Therefore let us mark well that all the true knowledge which we must seek is to attain to the hope whereunto God hath called us. For the scripture serveth not to feed us with vain and superfluous things, but to edify us to our welfare, that is to wit, to make us perceive God's goodness, that we might be joined unto him, and he be our true happiness." And hereupon we may gather also that until such time as our Lord have enlightened us by his Holy Spirit, we can find neither way nor path to come near the heavenly life, no, nor so much as guess what it meaneth. Wherefore it is for our behoof that our Lord should put us in possession of our salvation by the power of his Holy Spirit. I told you heretofore 
how that faith serveth to give us an entrance into the kingdom of heaven, and into the heritage that is purchased for us by our Lord Jesus Christ, and that God must be fain to give it us by his Holy Spirit. Then, since it is so, let us mark that we have need not only to have the gospel preached unto us, but also that God bore our ears, so as we may hearken to the things that are contained in the same, and he open our eyes to see the things that he showeth us, and to be short, that he may both begin all and bring all to pass. Howbeit, forasmuch as men, as I said afore, do by their fond imaginations take more upon them than they ought to do, and on the other side despise God's gifts. St. Paul magnifieth here the hope whereof he had made mention before, saying, What riches of the glory of his heritage are among the saints? No doubt, but that when there is any speaking of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will say, They be high things, howbeit that is but to exempt ourselves from them if we could escape, so as we could be contented to know right naught of the things that concern our salvation. We be unfaceable when anybody feeds us with vanities and leasings, but if God call us to his school, we shrink back as much as we can possibly, yea, and we set this afore us as a shield, that we be rude, and that we have but a small and overgross understanding, and that the secrets of God's word are too deep and incomprehensible for us. We have skill enough to say so, and yet it is all but hypocrisy and feignedness, and for proof thereof, men will always judge after their own liking, so as if anything be propounded to them from out of God's word. Is it so, say they, and how is that possible? They reason, they scan of it. Behold, it is God that speaketh, and yet will not they without gainsaying receive the things that are showed them in the name of God? We see then that they do but lie in saying that they be dull and gross-witted, for they think the clean contrary. The starkest idiots, say I, and the veriest dolts of them, all will still be wiser than God. Again, on the other side, what causeth the gospel to be despised, but that a number of pert and fantastical fellows think it to be but a simple doctrine, and that it hath not fitness and subtlety enough for them? So much the more need, therefore, have we to bethink us of the thing that is showed us here by St. Paul, which is that the glorious heritage whereunto God hath called us is an infinite riches. For besides that we be nothing else but mire and rottenness, sin shutteth us out from all hope of salvation. And so long as we be God's enemies, what can we look for at his hand but utter confusion? Yet notwithstanding it pleaseth him to make us fellows with the angels of heaven, yea, and more than that, too. For we be made members of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the end we should be partakers of his life and glory. How excellent riches are these! When we shall have employed all our wits about them, ought we not to be too too much ashamed, seeing that God hath uttered so inestimable goodness towards us? So then, St. Paul, to waken up men's drowsiness, and to rebuke and correct their unthankfulness, for that they commend not the hundredth part of God's grace, as they ought to do, telleth us that if we think better upon it, we shall find that his speaking after that manner is to stir us up to pray God to enlighten us, because that without him we should not be able to come anything near faith, nor near any knowledge at all. Thus we see now St. Paul's meaning, which he pursueth and continueth much more in adding what the excellency of his power is in us that have believed, and again according to the effectual working of the strength of his power. 
he gathereth and heapeth up many words here together which import all one thing. Nevertheless, it is, as it were, a correcting of man's lewdness which labour to deface God's goodness as much as they can, insomuch that, whereas they be not able to deface it altogether, they diminish it in such wise as it appeareth not, as if it had but a spark, whereas it ought to have full light. But by the way, let us mark that whereas St. Paul setteth down here the saints and believers, he meaneth the faithful whom God hath already called to him. And therein he showeth that even when we have faith, all our holiness proceedeth of God's mercy, and men bring nothing of their own growing. Truly, this title of saints is very honourable, but yet it behoveth us to go to the wellspring of holiness, for in ourselves we have nothing but uncleanness. God's children must needs be holy, yet they must consider from whence they have it, whether they have it of their own purchase and policy, or of God's gift. St. Paul showeth here that the praise thereof ought to be yielded simply unto God, for it is not for naught that he saith so oft, I am holy, and again we know that Jesus Christ was sanctified for us, to the intent that we might be washed and scoured from all our uncleanness. This much concerning the first point. Afterward followeth the cause of our faith, namely that men attain it not otherwise than by the drawing of a secret motion, according as is said, that we must learn of God, not only because his word containeth all wisdom, and God doth thereby teach us faithfully the things that are of our behoof, but also because our Lord expoundeth it moreover, saying, He that heareth it of my Father, he himself spake it, which was the wisdom of God, and yet he showeth that the things which he uttered with his mouth could not prevail except God spake within a man by his Holy Spirit. Now if Jesus Christ could not profit men by his teaching, further forth than God's Spirit wrought within their hearts, what shall the preaching do, which we must hear at the mouth of mortal men, who are nothing? Men then must plant and water, and God must give increase, as St. Paul saith in the third chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians. Furthermore, as I have told you, that we must draw all our holiness from out of Jesus Christ, in whom we shall find all the fullness and plenty of it, so also let us understand that by that saying we be warned that we be not called to filthiness, to take leave to do evil, but to be, as it were, shoaled out to the service of God. Most men can well enough brag that they be faithful, and that word runs roundly upon every man's tongue. But faith is a preciouser thing than we think, for it cleanseth our hearts, as it is said in the fourteenth of the Acts, to the intent we should be, as it were, shoaled out and set aside, to give ourselves wholly to God's service. But hereby it is meant that men are, as it were, of a corrupt and infected lump, till God have drawn out the one sort from the other. Then differ we nothing at all from them that are as deeply plunged as is possible in all manner of evil and wickedness. We be all alike, say I, as touching our nature. But they that believe in our Lord Jesus Christ must be, as it were, sorted out from the rest of the world, as St. Peter also saith in his first epistle. Again, we have seen heretofore that we be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ to the intent to be drawn out of this world, according also as he saith in St. John, where he prayeth to his Father not to take us out of this world and out of this transitory life, but to keep the naughtiness of the world from bearing rule in us and to exempt us from it. 
Ye see then that the thing which we have to bear in mind is that holiness is the true record of our faith. And therefore, whosoever is called a Christian ought to be consecrated unto God, and not to intermeddle or defile himself with the uncleanness and filthiness of the world. True it is that our holiness shall never be perfect so long as we be in the world, for we do always draw the lines to us, and although sin overmaster us not, yet doth it dwell in us, and we keep continual battle against it to get the upper hand. But howsoever the world go, yet when God once hath sanctified us, we must apply ourselves to his service. We must endeavour to cleanse ourselves more and more from all vices, and we must give ourselves wholly unto him, so as we be no more as worldlings, which take leave to do what they list. This, in effect, is the thing that St. Paul meant to say. Moreover, no doubt, but that in this place he maketh comparison between such as are drowned in all ignorance, or rather are so hardened, that they have no mind at all to submit themselves to the obedience of the gospel, but do fight furiously against it, and the faithful, which are as silly sheep, hearkening to the voice of the good shepherd. St. Paul then condemneth here all scoffers and scorners which despise God, and are as dogs or brute beasts, without any feeling of religion. When we see these things... They are all of them mirrors unto us, to make the hairs stand upon our heads, by making us to know what we should be if God pitied us not. And therefore, when we see folks scorn God so openly, and rush forth at random into all lewdness, let us acknowledge the infinite goodness of our God, in that he hath separated us from the company. Wherefore, when we see one sort sotted in their unbelief, and another sort full of pride, bitterness, and stubbornness against the gospel, let us understand that we ourselves should be like them, but that God hath reached forth his arm upon us. But now let us mark well the words that St. Paul useth herein, saying, The excellent greatness of his mightiness, according to the effectual working of the power of his strength. It should seem that the Holy Ghost meant to thunder down upon this devilish opinion wherewith the world hath at all times been besotted, that is, to wit, of free will. For the heathen men presumed so far as to say that God had indeed created them to be in the world, and that it was in his power to give them good or bad fortune, as they termed it, but that it was in every man's own power and free choice to follow virtue and to behave himself in such wise as no fault might be found in him. Lo, how the heathen men parted the stake between God and themselves. The lesser matter, which is the setting of us here beneath, to crawl here like frogs, they left unto God. But the greater matter, namely our attaining unto heaven and the ruling of ourselves in all virtue, that, said they, was in man's own ability and belonged only to himself. The Jews and Papists have not been altogether of this mind, for, as I have touched already, they confess that we have need of God's help. But yet, for all that, they will have us to mingle some piece of our own holiness with God's grace, and to be able to work jointly with it, as they say, insomuch that when it cometh to the reckoning, the chief part shall always be found in ourselves. But let us see how the Holy Ghost speaketh of it. To what end useth he all these terms of highness, power, strength, effectual working, and mightiness? Wherefore heapeth he up all these together, but to show that men be mad, when they will take more upon them than becometh them? There is not that word here which serveth not to abate our cackling, if we boast of never so little a drop of goodness. For if men say, I have yet some good moving in me, I have some peace of virtue, 
Behold, St. Paul speaketh of highness, as if he meant to show that all the goodness which we have is above the world, and hath not his root nor spring in ourselves, but cometh from above, as St. James saith. Again, if men say, We have some power to withstand our own vices, and to fight against temptations, St. Paul saith here that our strength, our power, and our might cometh of God, and that he must be fain to bestow it upon us, and we to receive it of him. If men say still, yet by straining ourselves we may be able to do somewhat. St. Paul telleth us there is no effectual working, there is no bringing of the thing to pass unless God give it us, according to his speaking of it in the second to the Philippians, where he saith that it standeth us on hand to walk in fear and weariness, because it is God which giveth both the will and the ability to perform the will, according to his own good pleasure. That is to say, he beginneth the work and bringeth it to the end and knitting up. To be short, let us mark that, look how many words there are here, so many great thunderclaps and lightnings are there to beat down and to sink all the pride of man, to the intent that, being confounded in ourselves, we might give God the glory which he deserveth, and with all lowliness, frankly and freely yield ourselves guilty, acknowledging that all goodness cometh of him, and that we are beholden to him only for it. Thus ye see how the effect of the matter which we have to mark upon this strain is to embase ourselves in such wise as we might have no desire to part halves with God, to say that he doth but help us, and that there is some portion of his grace and Holy Spirit in our own free will, but to yield him purely and simply the whole praise of our salvation. Furthermore, let it also make us to despise the world, that we may content ourselves with the hope of the everlasting life, which is purchased for us by our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know that altogether men be generally subject to many afflictions, and that this life of ours be not without cause, termed a veil of wretchedness. Yet God exerciseth his own children in greater abundance of adversities than he doth the other sort, for they also have need to be always put in mind to renounce the world. If we should live here too much at our ease and pleasure, what would become of us, seeing we miss not to fall asleep here, notwithstanding that God do prick us and quicken us up in so many ways to pass hence in post without resting here by low? Ye see then in few words how God will exercise us many ways after he hath called us to the faith of the gospel, for else we would be weary of serving him, and it would seem to us that his love were but a very slender thing, if we should not learn to give over all other things as little or nothing worth, and to embrace Jesus Christ. Therefore let us learn that St. Paul's intent here is to draw us in such wise unto God as nothing may let us to walk in our calling and that if we have not all things to our liking in this world, we may learn to esteem the inestimable benefits of our God better than we have done, that we may say with David, as he speaketh in his sixteenth psalm, I have mine heritage which sufficeth me. Seeing that God hath given himself to me, I have so excellent a portion, that I pass not for going through all the afflictions of the world, poverty, sickness, reproach, fear, and threatenings, all these things shall be sweet to me, so I possess my God, and he make me to feel that he hath chosen me, and reserved me to himself, and is minded to have me partaker of all his goods. Thus you see in effect that by this text we may be heartened and strengthened unto patience, to bear mildly all the afflictions and adversities of the world, and not to be grieved or out of conceit, 
and that although God make us now and then to drink of a bitter cup, and give us cause to sigh and lament, yet we must not fall to repining and grudging, but assure ourselves that God hath given us a good comfort, in that he hath called us to be partakers of his kingdom, and so uttered his power already in us, as we ought, as it were, to advance ourselves above all earthly things, and to look down at them as at our feet. And forasmuch as we do not yet perceive such fullness of God's grace, as were to be wished, therefore St. Paul sendeth us to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And surely, if he had not added that God hath uttered his power in his only Son, after such manner as we have heard it, what a thing were it? For we might allege in way of reply, how so? Where are the riches of God? For we be not only bereft of the goods of this world, but also we be as a dry and barren ground in respect of the grace of God's Holy Spirit. If there be any portion of it in us, it is so small as we ought to be ashamed of it, and yet for all this we be moreover plunged in our infirmities. If ye speak of God's power, it ought to get the upper hand of all sin in us, but we be so weak that we be as good as beaten down. Again it were meet that God's image should shine forth in us, and we bear such store of filthiness and such blemishes about us as is pity to see. We should be wholly consecrated to God, but the world holds us back, and we be, as it were, snarled in it. Lo, how the faithful might be abashed when any talk were ministered concerning God's grace, if they stayed there and were not led forth to Jesus Christ. Not without cause, therefore, doth St. Paul add here, that God did then utter the excellency of his power, when he raised our Lord Jesus Christ from death. And he speaketh purposely of his resurrection, because that in his death we see nothing but astonishment. For there appeared nothing but weakness, but by his vanquishing of death he showed himself to be the Son of God, yea, and the Lord of glory and life, who had all power in himself. And that also is the cause why St. Paul saith, that God did set him at his right hand. For it had not been enough for Jesus Christ to have been raised again, except he had a continual and abiding dominion. True it is that even in his only resurrection we have a record that he is the Son of God. But yet for all that we must pass one step further, namely that he had not a blast of power and away, but that by his rising again he attained such superiority that all the world is governed by him, and he is now set down at the right hand of God his Father to maintain and preserve his servants that call upon him, and put themselves into his keeping, and hath sufficient power to overcome Satan and all the world, and all our enemies. Now then we see St. Paul's meaning, that forasmuch as we might be cast down, and our faith at leastwise sore shaken, if we should look no further than to ourselves, Therefore he setteth Jesus Christ before us as the true pattern, wherein we may see the thing that as yet is unseen in ourselves, that is to wit God's inestimable power which surmounteth the whole world. For first he is raised from death, and second he is set at the right hand of his Father. Now the speaking of God's right hand is a resemblance taken of men. It is certain that God hath neither right hand nor left, for he is infinite, and filleth both heaven and earth, and again he hath no body, but is a spiritual being. Therefore we must not imagine any place certain when God's right hand is spoken of. And when it is said that Jesus Christ sitteth there, it is to show that he filleth all the world with his power. True it is that in respect of his manhood he is in heaven, and it is one of the articles of our faith that he ascended into heaven. But yet notwithstanding, although he be absent from us in his body, 
and that there is a great distance betwixt us. It is no let, but that he filleth all things with his Holy Spirit, and dwelleth in us himself, and that we be nourished by his own substance, according to this saying, that his flesh is our meat, and his blood our drink. You see, then, how that God's right hand is not some certain place for Christ to sit in, but the sovereignty which he hath obtained to govern the whole world. And, as I said afore, it is a similitude borrowed of men, as when a prince maketh his vice-regent, he setteth him at his right side, as who should say, Lo, here the second person of my realm, whom I will have men to obey. God, then, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, meant to show that he is our Father. True it is that the whole fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus Christ. Howbeit, forasmuch as we be heavy and slothful, and unable to attain to the majesty of God, therefore it is said that Jesus Christ hath obtained all sovereignty, so as we be sure that he hath us in his protection, and that being under his hand we be safe, and all the devils of hell do what they can, cannot prevail at all against us. For who is it that hath all power? It is even our head." Although, then, that we which are his members be weak, yet is there strength enough in the head, which is the chief part of the body. And so ye see, for what cause it is said that Jesus Christ is set at the right hand of God his Father, namely to show us that we need not to seek far for his help, seeing he governeth all things both above and beneath, and we see committed to his charge here. He saith that God hath uttered his high and infinite power in us, howbeit forasmuch as that sufficeth not, by reason of the infirmities which we feel, and for that there is so much amiss in us still, and we be not yet come to the full measure, no, nor to the hundredth part of it. Therefore, to the intent we may be the better assured of all the things that we want, we must consider them in Jesus Christ. Are we then subject yet still unto death? Behold, Jesus Christ is received up into everlasting life. For the very cause why he became a mortal man, as we be, was that the life which he hath might belong unto us. Doth sin dwell still in us? Behold, Jesus Christ hath no spot nor blemish in us. Are we weak? He is the power of God his Father, and look whatsoever he received into his manhood, which he took of us, was for our sakes and to our behoof. To be short, look whatsoever we want, and whatsoever may comfort or quicken us, we shall find it in our Lord Jesus Christ, because we should not be in care and perplexity, as though we were excluded from the benefits that St. Paul hath made mention of heretofore. Finally, we should never have any settled trust, except we knew that the things which are wanting in ourselves are in our head. For the measure of God's gracious gifts is very small, yea, even in the perfectest folk, and in such as are forwardest, and have profited most of all. Since it is so then, we should always hang in a mammering and doubt. But when we know that all is accomplished in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is, as it were, the firstfruits, and that we were sanctified in him, and that in his person we have received the things aforehand, which shall be given us in all plentifulness hereafter, when he hath taken us out of this world, there verily lieth our certainty, whereupon we ought to rest, that we be not shaken down with any temptation. To be short, we be taught by this text that although God's grace be weak in us, that is to say, although he have put but a small beginning of it in us, and not so large an abundance as were requisite, or to be wished for, yet notwithstanding, the same giveth us a taste and savour to trust in him. For there cannot be so little grace of his Holy Spirit in us, 
but that, as saith St. Paul in the Eighth to the Romans, we know that the same is as a gauge or earnest penny aforehand of the life that he hath promised. True it is that this lump of sin dwelleth still in us, but it ought to content us that God vouchsafeth to bestow never so little of his Holy Spirit upon us. Furthermore, forasmuch as we cannot be sure of all these things, considering the slenderness that is in ourselves, and the infirmities and wants which we have, therefore we must lift up our eyes to Jesus Christ. Yea, what availeth it us that we may find all perfection in him? For we be too too far off from him. We be far from him as in respect of distance of places, and in that respect doth St. Paul say that we be absent from him, because we walk but by faith, and not by open eyesight and beholding. But yet for all that we be members of his body. Then seeing it is so, like as a root cannot be separated from the tree, but sendeth forth his sap into all the boughs and branches of it, even so let us understand that the end whereunto our Lord Jesus Christ hath in such fullness received the spiritual gifts that belong to the heavenly life, is to communicate them to us, so far forth as needed, even from degree to degree, according as we shall have profited in the faith. And herewithal let us continually bear in mind that we must stoop and humble ourselves, and be contented to be still far off from the perfection whereunto it becometh us to aspire, and to be as hungry folks, so as we, feeling our own necessity and lack, must run to our God to beg at his hand, knowing that he is able to increase it from day to day, and that if it were not so, we should be undone out of hand and all should go to wreck and vanish away, but that he continueth the thing that he hath begun. Ye see then how it standeth us on hand to be joined to our Lord Jesus Christ, and to know that there is an inseparable bond between him and us. And inasmuch as he once became poor to make us rich, as it is said in another place, that is the very means whereby all the riches that are in him are at this day communicated unto us. Not that we have the full fruition of them, as I said afore, but because it is enough for us that we have some small portion of them, to make us taste the love of God, and to know that he will not fail us in anything, but that since he hath given us a warrant that he is come near unto us, and dwelleth in us by his Holy Spirit, as we have seen in the second to the Corinthians, he will also fill us even unto the end. His using of the word enrich is to show that there shall always be want and neediness in us. Nevertheless, let us trust boldly to this promise, that he which hath begun the good work in us will go through with the same, yea, even unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is said to give us some refreshing when our life is, to our seeming, over long. And we would fain that the said perfection were already showed openly in us, and that Jesus Christ will come again. But it is said that unto that day we must always be journeying, and go on still forward further and further, and beseech God that he suffer us not to quail. Sure we be that we shall never fail to sustain want and necessity, but yet will he succour us in such wise as we shall perceive that if he have once vouchsafed to behold us with the eye of his mercy, it is to accomplish the work of our salvation throughout, and to do us to wit, that he hath not knit us to our Lord Jesus Christ for naught, but that his so doing hath been to the end that every of us might even now, according to the measure of his faith, possess the goods that are peculiar to him, till he hath filled us to the full, which shall be when he hath knit us fully to him. But now let us cast ourselves down before the majesty of our good God, with acknowledgment of our sins, praying him to make us so to feel them, as may draw us from them, 
and cause us to direct our life obediently according to his commandments, so as we may show by our deeds that he hath not bought us so dearly in vain, but that we give over all our own fleshly lusts, and yield ourselves wholly to the service of him that hath once adopted us for his heritage. And therefore let us all say, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, etc. End of Sermon 7